I'm turning this morning to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verses 31 through 35. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. And our subject this morning will be the parable of the seed and leaven. The parable of the seed and leaven. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which, is, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Of course, we are in the midst of a section of Matthew's Gospel that is recording a number of our Lord's parables. And most of these parables begin with the expression or the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, in order to draw our attention to the reality that he is going to give us now a, an idea or an illustration of what his kingdom is, can be compared to. Now, we've seen a number of different aspects of this, and we've looked at a number of different parables. But when you think about the illustrations that he gives... The two that he talks about in these two parables, which we're going to combine this morning, he talks about a seed that is so small that it's hard to detect with the eyes. He talks about something that might even be as small or approximately the same when he talks about leaven. He's using seed and he's using leaven. Now, in our humanity, when we start thinking about the kingdom of God and we think about the enormity of what God's kingdom must be, we would expect God to use illustrations of things that are large. We might think when he said the, the kingdom of heaven, instead of is like a grain of mustard seed, we might say, no, the kingdom of God is like a large, majestic mountain range. It is like a strong tower. It is a strong cliff. He says, no. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain, so small, and that's what he compares it to. We might think when he talks about the leaven that he would have described the kingdom of heaven is something not like something so small like leaven that is hidden, but something that is majestic, maybe like standing on a shore line near an ocean and looking at the beauty and the majesty, but he doesn't use that. He uses insignificant things to illustrate not the smallness of the kingdom, but to illustrate what it will become. The one difficulty that you and I have as children of God living in this world is sometimes the uncertainty of life brings us to a place where we wonder, is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, really growing? Or does it continue to feel as if the world is growing darker and darker and we seem to see tragedy on every side? We continue to see wicked men carry out wicked deeds and wicked actions. And we, we begin to ask ourselves the question, uh, is the kingdom of God still growing? 
Well, in Jesus' day, the purpose of these two parables together was exactly that, to remind them, I want you to know something about the kingdom of heaven. It's going to start out very small. It's going to start out looking very insignificant, but it's going to grow into something that is going to be noticed and it's going to be known by what's produced. So we have to look at these parables today from the perspective of what Christ Himself was describing here. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, He says, is it begins with something that is ordinary. Now, you and I don't talk a lot about mustard seed. You probably don't. And you probably don't talk a lot about leaven in your home. It probably has not been a dinner conversation where you've said, let's talk about mustard seed and let's talk about leaven. But they are common things. And these especially would have been common in Jesus' day. When he makes reference to a mustard seed, everyone knew what he was talking about. When he makes reference to leaven, everyone knew what he was talking about. But I will say there's a caveat with leaven that I want you to hold on to a moment because we realize that leaven often in the Bible speaks of something evil. But Jesus is using leaven in a positive way in this particular parable. So we'll get to that. But these were common, ordinary things. A grain of seed and leaven. In these very short parables, Jesus compares the kingdom to a mustard seed, and to leaven. It does seem like a strange choice that God would compare His kingdom with something so small and seemingly insignificant. But the more I've read this this week, and the more I've read some of the accounts of commentators of old, the more beautiful this passage becomes, and the more stirring it is of just the, masterful, the masterfulness that Jesus taught with. Of course, he's the perfect preacher. He's the perfect teacher. Uh, he teaches in a way that none of us could even hope to strive to even be. But by showing the comparative of the small growing into that which will be noticed, that which will be large, it really is, to use a human term, it's a genius way to teach about the kingdom of heaven. So you'll notice that this, this parable, this first parable begins... He describes the kingdom of heaven as this grain of mustard seed. Now, I have, it's been pointed out to me, in, especially in these first two verses, in verse 31 and 32, uh, Jesus is teaching primarily here, this first heading. Let me give you the heading first. Uh, Jesus is teaching his listeners that the kingdom that he had come to announce and begin was very small, at that moment, all right? So he's, he's come, Jesus' presence is announcing the beginning of this kingdom of heaven. And no doubt at this time, it's extremely small. Now the mustard seed, and it's been pointed out to me uh, in a technicality, and I'm going to give the benefit of that on the technicality. It's been pointed out to me that the mustard seed, after all, is not actually the smallest seed in all the world. They've actually detected and found seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, it's probably not the exact smallest one. But especially at the time, everybody would have recognized the mustard seed as being the smallest seed you could possibly find. It's a technicality, right? Somebody will send me an email or say, look, that's not the smallest seed. It really isn't. You're not looking for the right thing today if you're concerned about, is it really the smallest? No, this is a contradiction. The Bible's all lies, just throw it all away, it's a contradiction. No, that's not what's happening here. He's acknowledging something that every hearer would have recognized. Oh, yes, the mustard seed. Very small. If you've actually ever seen one of these, they're tiny. 
They are, it is a tiny grain. So we understand what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus is, is, is teaching those hearers that are there and he's comparing and, and comparing all of these things to what the kingdom of God is like. These mustard seeds, the least in proportion, especially to what it produces. Now that's where the technicality, where the people that say the technicality says you have a contradiction because here's what I understand to be fact. It is not the smallest seed, but in proportion to what that seed grows, it actually does produce the largest quote unquote crop or plant or tree. So it's the smallest seed that produces the largest return. All right. So we'll take that. That's the, that's the, that's the avenue we're taking this. So it has life in it. That small mustard seed that appears to not have life in it. The kingdom of heaven is like, he says, a grain of mustard seed. The man in the parable, of course, we already know. The man took and sowed in his field. We've learned about who the sower is. The sower is Jesus Christ himself, and he is the one that sows the seed. He's the one that plants the seed. His field, we've learned, has to do with the church, has to also do with the heart of man. Now, he takes that seed, and that seed is planted, and oftentimes that seed is so small that it's neglected. People don't think anything of it. They think, well, that seed could not possibly produce anything of value, and it certainly is not going to produce anything worth taking notice of. That's the masterfulness in Jesus' teaching. Because he is indeed saying, at the moment right now, the kingdom of heaven is small. In his day, he was saying, this is very small. Remember, he had come to announce the kingdom of heaven. He had come to announce and begin what he's going to refer to as the kingdom of heaven. He is sowing the living seed that's in his own field. Now remember, the sower's not going into another man's field. He owns the field. He's going into his own field and he is sowing the seed. Not only does he sow the seed, but he watches over it. He takes care of it. He deals with all that need to be done in that field. What happens as he nurtures that field? What happens as he continues to watch over it, to protect it, to guard it? That seed begins to grow. That seed begins to take root. And the mustard seed, just like being that small seed, eventually it grows into what's described in the parable as an actual tree. At the time the seed goes in the ground, we understand that in verse 32 it says, and becomes a tree, that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. When it's in the seed form, the birds aren't lodging in those branches. But what Jesus is saying, this kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed. At first you're not going to see it, at first, it's going to look insignificant and small, but one day where that seed was planted, you're going to look one day and there's going to be a tree. And that tree is going to be so large that the birds of the air are going to be able to lodge in it. Now, again, from the perspective of the smallness of that seed, which is about the size of me holding my thumb, you can't even see it. He said the kingdom of heaven is going to grow into a tree that's large enough for the birds to lodge in it. Comparatively speaking, we're talking about enormous growth. We're talking about growth that you cannot possibly quantify by just human numbers. But remember, as Jesus is teaching these parables, he is in fact teaching in parables. And I know that sounds profound. He's teaching in parables, things that are not going to be understood by everybody. 
Remember, we've learned that there are blessings to those who can hear and those who cannot hear. We've learned about how it's not given to all to hear. We've learned about Isaiah's uh, vision of the Lord, high and holy and lifted up in Isaiah 6, when he says his mission is to go and actually blind people's eyes and, and clog their ears. But Jesus is speaking to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. He said, I want you to understand something. This looks insignificant right now. This looks like there's no hope. Now, folks, we can be, by way of application, that we can, be, we can buy into the lie because the world keeps getting darker and darker that the kingdom of heaven is not growing. And do you realize there are souls added to the kingdom of heaven every single moment of every single day? There are people who by sovereign grace, eyes are being opened. They are being brought to repentance. They are believing on Christ alone. And the kingdom is growing and growing and growing. And Jesus said, but it started off as a mustard seed that was so small, nobody could see it. See, Jesus was just treated as someone insignificant when he came. Oh, yes, they announced him and said, oh, you're a prophet. And some of the Pharisees began to look at his miracles and say, well, you do these miracles, so you must be sent from God. But they were missing the reality that he was the fulfillment of the Messiah. It's Jesus that's teaching this parable. It's Jesus that is saying that the results of the, the life, this seed has life in it. The work of grace in the life of an individual is so glorious, so mysterious. But do you know that the work of grace is only apparent in the recipient of that grace? I'm not aware by looking at you about the work of grace in your spirit. I'm not aware if God's spirit is working in you at this moment. Now you could demonstrate emotions. You could become emotional over what we sing, what we hear. You could have tears streaming down your face. I can't say that's a work of grace. That might just be a memory of something that's dear to you. But the work of grace is known by the person who is the recipient of that grace. You know when God's grace is working in you. You know when the Spirit of God is convicting your heart not only about your need of salvation, but your need of repentance because you have fallen into sin. Jesus said this kingdom, this seed has life in it. Not just life that gives you life to go to heaven one day, but the very life of eternity is in the seed. That seed that was sown in your heart, that work of grace, is an apparent work. We understand the influences of the Spirit. Now, again, try to keep where the situation was at the time. During Jesus' day... The church, as we know it, was not as apparent. But there were false gods and false doctrines everywhere. The gods of Rome were running rampant. There were cults. There was worship of gods. There was worship of goddesses. Uh, Rome itself became the very thing to worship. Uh, you were, there was commands that went out to worship the Caesars, worship the leaders. Christianity, really, the way we understand it today was really unseen. Now, we have churches on every street corner in this country. People often say what we really need are more churches. No, what we really need are more churches that are standing for the truth. 
quite frankly, there's a lot of churches that need to be closed. There's a lot of churches that are standing for false doctrines. Again, and I'm meant to offend, but every Catholic church in this country should be closed. And you say, boy, that's going to get you in trouble. It might. But you understand what's happening here. He was not talking about that church. He's talking about his church. And he says, it looks insignificant. It looks small. But I want you to know it's going to grow. There are false churches all over this country, not just Catholic churches, all sorts of different denominations that are not in the faith. But yet Jesus says, my kingdom is going to grow. My kingdom is going to start insignificant and small, even in the midst when those who were his were looking around and saying, what are all these religious activity that I see? Remember Paul, even when he went to Mars Hill, he's asking the question, I perceive you are superstitious to the unknown God they were worshiping. Imagine going to a place of worship and not even knowing the God that you worship. And yet that's what Paul was saying. You see, the the church, even in Jesus' day, seemed insignificant. It seemed small. That was his point in comparing the kingdom to a mustard seed. Now think for a moment that there is no possible way that the disciples, those 12 apostles, would have ever produced or thought they would produce the number of churches that are all over this world today that are standing for the truth. They did not have a full concept of that. We take it for granted. Another church is being planted here. Another church is being planted there. And I'm all for church planting. I think every church should plant another church that's godly and is biblical and is sound. But at that day, there was not a church on every corner. And yet, here we stand now. Churches everywhere. The kingdom of heaven has grown and it continues to grow. They could not have imagined that this, what we see today, is actually what has happened. In their day, the kingdom of heaven was small. The mustard seed couldn't be seen. The kingdom of heaven was tiny. It wasn't recognizable. But it has now grown and grown and grown until we're at a point now where the birds are lodging in it. Now again, you might say, what does the birds have to do with this? That's part of the parable. The emphasis is not on the birds. The emphasis is not about, oh, Birds in a tree, I have that. It's a parable. So if you have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, you're very certain what he's talking about. He's talking about the church and he's talking about his people and how that which seemed so small has now grown into something that is much larger and is growing, by the way. So we see the beauty of this. The Lord sowed the seed. The Lord planted incorruptible seed. It is going to produce exactly what he planted. Now imagine, what can we say? We can say this morning and we can say, listen, I don't see the kingdom of heaven. I don't understand it all. But do you realize over the last 2,000 years since Jesus Christ walked upon this earth, you can't even begin to imagine how much the church and his people have grown. And it continues to grow. And I know we get caught up and we don't like the the seeming unfairness of the doctrine of election, which we talked about at 10 o'clock today. But listen, folks, I'm telling you, myriads and millions of people are in the faith. Christ is calling whom he will unto himself. We take great comfort in knowing that not a single one's going to be left behind. And we know that salvation is of the Lord. And because it's of the Lord, it is going to accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. And yet, Jesus felt compelled 
to give the parable about the smallness of the kingdom at that time. It's a blessing to know that every nation on the face of the earth, get this, I believe this to be so, every nation on the earth has got God's people on it. You say, what about that place in the jungle where the missionaries haven't gotten to? Folks, I believe in missionary work. I believe we ought to support missionary work. But I also know this. God is not 100% dependent upon missionaries getting to a dark place to open their eyes and convert their soul. Every one of us is supposed to be an evangelist. Every one of you is supposed to go out preaching the gospel. Not in a formal way, but you should be speaking about Christ when you're, when you're meeting with people with coffee, when you're talking with friends, when you're talking with lost loved ones. We're all preachers. Every one of us have a call to go. We all have a call to be a missionary. Maybe not to a dark jungle somewhere. But if you've been saved by God's grace, it ought to be the very forefront of your heart and your mind. You can't help but speak the things you've seen. And yet, here we stand. The kingdom of God continues to grow from something so small. Now in verse 33, he moves from the smallest of seeds to really, I think, a very peculiar illustration. In verse 33, says, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. So our second heading is in this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to leaven in the context of baking. Now again, this is so strange. Here we're dealing with great theological truth and we're talking about trees, seeds, and baking. Why is baking so important? And what is Jesus' point in this parable? Now, again, things we don't necessarily understand. Uh, when we use in our modern cooking and we think about what it takes to make bread rise, when we think about the ingredients we put in there, there is ingredients that you put to make the bread do what it needs to do. Well, in their day, they didn't get and go down to the grocery store and get the yeast and get what they needed to put into the bread to make the bread rise. So what they would actually have to do is they'd have to take an existing piece of bread that they had actually been allowed to be fermented, and they would take a piece of that bread that had been used and they would put that in the new, uh, the new mixture. That one piece of leavened bread from the bread that had already been baked put into the leaven or the, the new mixture would be enough to leaven that whole lump. That's how they would do it. They would take it from one and plant it in the other. Now, this, has become, this verse has become a center of controversy because somebody will say, leaven is always... Okay, you hear what I'm doing here? Leaven is always evil. And I would look at you and say, no, it's not. Is leaven used in the Bible as an illustration of evil? Yes, leaven in parts of Scripture are compared to be sin. And that sin is treated like leaven, that if a little bit of leaven gets into the lump, it'll destroy the whole lump, right? That is a biblical principle. But here's how we know this is not about evil. It's very clear. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now, would Jesus actually say the kingdom of heaven is evil? The kingdom of heaven is sinful? Of course He wouldn't do that. What He's using is He's using leaven in a positive way to show the power of what leaven does when it's added to the lump. Now, it's very small. They're not talking about large pieces of bread. But there have been many who have, who have commented on this 
that say, oh no, this verse is just about the power of evil in the church. And if you're not careful, the evil will get into the church and it'll make the church all evil. Now, there is in Scripture, leaven is used in the Bible as a type of evil. And we've got to understand the context. Context always matters, folks. Just because it says something over there doesn't mean that I can ignore the context. Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, He certainly would not compare His kingdom to something sinful. He's not going to say it's evil. He's using it in a way to show the leaven, not its corrupting influence, but rather its, its influence that's positive. Okay, the parable begins with the same words. There's not a word in this verse that warns us that Jesus has now changed His thoughts or changed His theme and He's speaking of evil. No, He's still speaking about the kingdom of itself. I'm still talking about the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean for us? The Lord says it doesn't say it shall be like. He uses present tense. He says it is like. So even if the commentators that say, no, he meant evil, that's not what Jesus' words are, that it shall be once the evil's out. No, he says, it's like that now. Words matter. Order matters. So what did the woman do? The woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Okay? It's taken, it's put into that batch. Uh, it's, it's a picture of influence. Now, again, the disciples, and even in Paul's day, may have been, they may have been overtaken with the thought, is this really making a difference? Is, there really, is the church really influencing for good? The reality is, is that leavening influence that Jesus is giving, is He's saying that, that leavening influence of my kingdom, it is having an effect. Folks, don't buy the lie that the church is having no influence. Now, we've got a lot of churches caving to culture. We're not caving to culture here. So if you're expecting us to be culturally relevant and cave to culture, I mean this with all love that I can, you're in the wrong church. We're not caving to culture. Now, we're aware of culture. And we're aware that culture is not, not growing better and culture is not getting brighter. As a matter of fact, the culture is pressing against the church and the culture is really angry at the true church. Because the true church is actually standing for that which is truth. The world doesn't want truth. It actually wants you to lie. It's why we're seeing the foolishness of man's inventions. It's why we're seeing the foolishness of preferred pronouns. There is no preferred you are male, you are female. There is no third category. And when man begins to say, no, we just think to be culturally relevant, churches are caving on this. This church is not caving on that. We are not going to give in and say, well, everybody else is doing it. If you want to remain culturally relevant and if you want to bring people into the church, you're going to have to adapt. No. Listen, here's what I know about God's kingdom. That it is growing. And it's growing in spite of what man tries to do. And there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be told to go back and get His bride. And He's coming to get us. 
And I'm telling you, it's not going to be until then are we really going to understand the influence that the kingdom of heaven has been and how it has grown. Listen, we have so many spineless people standing in churches who are afraid of what society is going to do to them. We're not supposed to cower in fear as if we're not on the winning side. Listen, the battle is already the Lord's. Culture is going to change with every wind of doctrine that comes along. What's in now, five years, five years now, from now, it'll be something else. Those of you that have kids that are elementary age, by the time they get to middle school, you're going to be dealing with something else. And it's just going to be one thing above the next and one thing on top of another, and it's all going to come back to this culture. Culture is not the definer of what the church is or what the church is going to do, what the church is supposed to preach. There will come a day in this country when every church in this nation will be told, this is what you can preach and teach and this is what you can't. The day is going to come, we're going to get a letter, we're going to get a phone call, it's going to say, your church has got to adapt culture and you have to accept what's going on around you and we'll say, no, we will not. We are going to obey God, not man. We're not going to obey what the culture says we're supposed to obey. You say, well, what if you end up with five people in your little building? Then we end up with five people in our little building, but we're not compromising on it. Because the reality is, is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is describing is a kingdom that is at work, whether we see it or not. Wow, the church just seems so weak. Folks, at times it is weak because we're trying to stand in our own strength instead of standing on what God has already declared to be. That's why the Word of God is the center of everything we do. You're not, if you're here for a gimmick, you're in the wrong place. If you're here for entertainment, you're in the wrong place. We're not going to gimmick you, we're not going to manipulate you, or we're not going to entertain you. And we're not going to be the most hip-going church in town. But you are going to hear the Word of God. You are going to hear the Gospel. And yes, even if you've been saved for 50 years, you're going to hear the gospel every single time you're here because we're commanded in Scripture to be put in remembrance that we have been saved by God's grace. Whether there's unsaved people in the congregation or not, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to try to preach the whole counsel of God. Well, why is it important to us today? Because we also understand that even as the influences of society, the influences are battling against the influence of the kingdom of heaven, understand something that the kingdom of heaven ultimately will be victorious. The kingdom of heaven is hidden from the sight of most people. There are people who have lived their whole life and have never once considered their eternity. They've never once considered the kingdom of heaven. They are so culturally relevant that they are unaware of the kingdom of God. Every believer here today is aware of the kingdom of God. If you're in the kingdom, you're aware of that kingdom. It's not some strange thing. Why does he keep talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? What is that? If you're in that kingdom, you know what it is. You know that you have been bought with a price. You know that you belong to Him. How? Because the Spirit gives witness to you that the Spirit of God dwells within you. 
Not because someone told you that you were saved, but because you know you're saved because the Spirit bears testimony of that truth. The kingdom of heaven at that time was compared to something that seemed insignificant. Remember, Jesus' disciples, and even into Paul's life, watched the rise of a government, the Roman government, that I don't think we really, I don't think we fully comprehend just how evil it was, and I don't think we realize how hard it would have been to live under a Roman government. Because today we say, it's never been like this before. And I would argue back and say, oh yes, it has. And we can make a lot of comparisons and we can say, listen, I'm telling you, America's much further off than the Roman. Listen, you don't know that. You weren't there. But you read about what was going on in the Roman government, what the people were being subjected to. And we hear everybody say, listen, we're going to push back against it. Jesus said, render benevolence, render that, that, that uh, honor to whom honor is. He paid his taxes. That doesn't mean that he agreed with the government, but he's saying, listen, folks, let's look beyond what you see. The goal is not to make this world livable. We are just passing through this world. This is not the destination. You fall in love with this world, you're going to fall in love with the lust of your eyes and the lust of the flesh, and you're going to say, listen, I want everything this life has to give me, and you're missing the reality of the kingdom of heaven. This isn't what we're living for. And if you've set your sail and say, I just want, I want to get, get, get everything this world offers me, you're coming up way short. You are settling for not second rate, you're settling for third rate. That may be too high compared to the glory that awaits God's people. Again, we understand. I want you to understand. We understand more than those 12 disciples knew. Those 12 disciples did not know what was coming. They didn't know when Jesus was going to, he didn't know he was going to go to a cross. That's why they panicked when he left. They scattered because they were afraid. The kingdom of heaven continues to grow. And then you'll notice in verse 34 and 35, Jesus' third heading teaches, and the Bible is very clear on this, that Jesus taught only in parables at this point in His ministry. You'll see that verse 34 and 35, it says that all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake He not unto them. At this point in His ministry, He was only speaking in parables. Now, that's a mystery, but he's only speaking. It says he didn't speak to them unless it was in a parable. Those who had eyes to see, those who had ears to hear. But then he says the reason he's doing that is that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, which prophet is he mentioning? Which prophet is Matthew writing on the inspiration of the Spirit about? It's not a random prophet. It's about the prophet we read about in Psalm 78 for our call to worship. It's directly connected. Look what the, look what the prophet says in Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. This is a prophecy about the fact 
that the God, the Christ that would come, the Messiah who would come, would speak in parables, and it would be another evidence that Jesus himself was the Messiah. See, Christ is all over the Old Testament. And here's the fulfillment of yet another prophecy. Notice that that prophecy in Psalm 78, it begins by give ear, O my people, to my law. Well, who's got to be speaking there? Give ear to my law. That's God himself speaking. And yet in the third verse, the same person says, speaks of our fathers. So now he's talking about some form of humanity. So in the 78th Psalm, you have a person who's speaking who is both God and man. Who fills that prophecy? Jesus Christ himself, both God and man. Psalm 78 is pointing to the reality that Christ, when he comes, he is going to speak in parables and it's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 78. Our Lord speaks hidden things. He sets forth secret things. The parable is wide open, but not everybody understands it. We've already learned that only the people who had their eyes of understanding opened and their ears unstopped would have understanding. But remember, these parables were not meant just to teach us a heavenly truth. They are meant to teach us deep mysteries of God. There is no possible way for us to fully comprehend the kingdom of heaven and what that includes. It's impossible for us to, humanly speaking, even get a glimpse of what glory is going to be like. But I will tell you that for the child of God today, even not knowing all the details, there's nothing more glorious than knowing that one day you're going to spend an eternity with your Savior. I don't have to know all the mysteries to know that that's the most glorious truth I know today. When we sing these hymns, I'm not singing just to get to the verse. I'm not just singing to get to the, get to the end. I'm singing with understanding because I begin to understand here is love. Here is the depth of His mercy. And there's a use of that word, all free to me. Have you seen a theme today? We've heard the word free a hundred times today. It hasn't cost you and I anything. If your family is in the kingdom of heaven, you ought to rejoice that God has saved your family. If you're an individual here today and you're saved, you ought to praise God diligently that He saved your soul, that He gave you eyes to see. If you're understanding anything that's being said from the Word today, you ought to fall down in your face before God and say, God, thank you for showing me. Because the parables are not understood by the smartest person in the room. The parables are only understood by those who God's eyes He opens. And if you see it and you hear it, all glory goes to God for it. These mysteries, these things we don't fully understand, Jesus' use of these, these parables tell us that even Jesus acknowledged that He was the fulfillment of prophecies such as Psalm 78.2. Folks, let me give you something to leave today with comfort. Uh, if you are a child of God today, no matter how dark, and I don't want this to be cliched, no matter how dark the days get, I want you to understand that if you're in Christ, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to hear any better news than that today. Because when the world keeps getting darker and man keeps reinventing sin 
and making it worse. Because by the way, the Bible says that actually men, is, men are trying to invent new ways to sin. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked that we see the atrocities that we see. Don't be shocked if it comes to a place where you would be absolutely, and again, I'm not trying to offend, I'm just trying to be honest. You're going to be absolutely, you are dealing with souls. There's going to be a point in time when you you put your kids, again, take this in the spirit it's meant to take. The public schools are eventually going to be the worst place you can put your kids. I'm just speaking fact, because if you know what's going on now, If you have any idea what's going on now in preschool, in preschool, this is not by accident. This is intentional to corrupt and to try to destroy the things of God. It's been happening for decades. It was happening when I was in high school, and I know that was a long time ago. It was happening then. But I want you to take heart and understand something. The kingdom of God is not being hindered. The kingdom of God is not stunted. Its growth is not stunted because it's not culturally relevant. The kingdom of God is growing. People are still being saved. People are still repenting of their sins. And yet, here we stand and understand that as over time, believers, every time we gather together in public worship, I hope you don't take this time for granted. Folks, this is not just something we come to because of what we do on a Sunday. I hope you know this is the public worship of the kingdom of God. And one day we're going to worship perfectly. Listen on, listen on Wednesday nights if you can't make it here. Listen to the series on Revelation. We're talking about the worship of God. And look at what's happening. And look who's upon the throne. And look who's being worshipped for all of eternity. See, if you know Christ is your Savior, He is worthy of your worship. He's not worthy, just worthy of it. He deserves your worship. And if you're worshiping something else or someone else and you're living for this life instead of that life, listen, I'm praying that God opens your eyes to the Spirit to become a child of God. We're not going to manipulate you. But when Christ saves His own, they are saved to the uttermost. Not partially saved, not 99% saved, 100% fully saved to the uttermost. I hope today you can say you have repented of your sins and you've believed in Christ alone. Such simple parables, small parables, but very pointed. The parable of the seed and the leaven. Let's conclude our time. We'll stand together and sing hymn number 200.